Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Starting next week, we're going to be in a four-part series where we're going to explore more holistically the Bible. Uh, We all talk about how much we value it. We bring it to church. We read it at home. Uh, We're going to take some time to think it through, ask some of the difficult questions. Why do we believe the Bible is authoritative? How do we read the Bible well? These sorts of questions we'll be asking for the next four weeks, so we'd love to have you join us. It is good to gather together in the presence of the Lord. We're glad for those of you here in, who are here in person and those of you who are watching from the lake. Uh, we are glad to have you with us today as we uh, gather t- together to worship. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Daniel Bunn. I'm occasionally up here on stage. I may have seen many of you in Sunday school. Uh, my wife and I have been here for four years now, and we love being at Redeemer. So I'm honored to have a chance to be up here. <coughs> Excuse me. Honored to be up here with you guys again. Uh, Today I'm going to be looking at Mark chapter 4. If you want to turn over there with me, or you can simply listen along or follow along on the screen behind me. Mark chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading to you verses 30 through 32. Mark 4, 30 through 32. Again he, that is Jesus, said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Please bow your heads. Let's say a word of prayer. God, it is truly a gift to be able to read and to hear Scripture with one another This day we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us, come into our hearts, encourage and challenge us, open our eyes to see and ears to hear what it is you are saying. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. I really love the parables Jesus teaches. It's amazing how in just a few short verses even, I mean here, you know, verses 30 through 32, Just such short verses, Jesus can give to us a story or a metaphor that likely sticks with us for some time after we've heard it. In fact, my guess is that many of you, you could recall from memory certain parables of Jesus that maybe you haven't heard in years. These parables stick with us uh, long after we've heard them. This parable especially, perhaps, the the well-known parable of the mustard seed. You've probably heard it many times. And in content, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, this really small seed uh, that gets planted and turns into something really big. Okay, pretty straightforward uh, content there. Uh, you know, that, that not, not hard to wrestle with. Uh, but I want to talk today about what this parable might mean. One of the difficult things with Jesus' parable isn't understanding what he's saying, but what does he mean by it? Why is he saying what he is saying. With this parable in particular, the parable of the mustard seed, in my experience, there's a common interpretation of this parable. Maybe you've heard it. And it goes something like this. 
The mustard seed, though really small and insignificant and overlooked and despised, eventually becomes, with time, something big and respectable and beautiful. And in this interpretation, what Jesus is saying then is that the kingdom of God, though small, insignificant, despised in its beginning, will eventually be beautiful and respected by the world around. So then he's telling the parable to encourage hope. He's trying to get his audience to be hopeful. And he's trying to get them to see that we should not despise small beginnings. Hold out hope for the future when things will be great even if right now it's difficult. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, it's because it's pretty much the plot of every Disney princess movie that you've ever seen. <laughs> There's Cinderella, despised, lowly step, uh, stepdaughter who, who no, one, no one takes a second to look at, but you give her the right dress, you give her the right slippers, put her at the right ball, and everyone recognizes how fabulous she is. Beauty and the Beast. Belle is able to see through the rough exterior of this beast and see a heart that's been softened and changed, a kindness, uh, a genuineness to this, this beast. Though luckily for her, he doesn't stay a, a beast. He turns into the beautiful prince by the end. So, uh, you know, hold out hope. Things will get better even if they are difficult right now. Do not despise small beginnings. Now, this thinking is all well and good as far as it goes, and there may even be some truth to it. But as an interpretation of this particular parable, this parable of the mustard seed, I have a couple concerns. I have a couple concerns with that being the interpretation of what Jesus is saying and doing here. My first concern is this. It just sounds a bit too encouraging and hopeful. Now hear me out. Jesus regularly teaches in ways that are intended to to foster hope and encouragement in his audience. He, he confirms with them the goodness of what God is up to and wants them to be hopeful for the future. That's, that's true. But is that why he tells parables? At the beginning of Mark chapter 4, this very same chapter from which we read this parable, Mark tells us Jesus often taught in parables, and then he gives us the first of such parables. Another well-known parable, uh, the parable of the sower, as we often call it. And here's what happens in that scene. Jesus is standing by the lake. The crowds gather, having heard of all the wonderful things he's been doing. They're pressing on him so much that he jumps in a boat and pushes out to the water so that he can teach from the boat. And as the crowds sit and await in anticipation this wonderful teaching that Jesus is about to deliver, here's what he says to them. He says, there was this farmer and he's carrying a bag of seed and some seed just sort of spills out onto the path below him. But birds come and eat it up. Some other seed, it sort of fell out along the side of the path into some really shallow soil. So it grew up real quickly, but then it died just as quickly as it grew. Some seed fell off into what was otherwise good soil, but there was a lot of thorny growth that surrounded it and choked it out, and it died. And then some seed, it landed in good soil, and it grew, and it flourished. Amen. End of sermon. That was it. Now, you maybe have heard this, and you hear that, and you have some ideas about what you think he means by that. But it wasn't so obvious to the first audience what in the world Jesus meant in telling this parable. The disciples included. Here's what happens next. The disciples, they wait till Jesus is sort of off by himself, and they come to him, 
And they say, hey, Jesus, that was, that was a meaningful sermon. I mean, that spoke to my heart. You know, the seed, the farmer, the path, all that, that was just really moving. Totally understood what you meant. But some of the people in the crowd, not us, but some of the people in the crowd, I think they had a hard time with what you meant. So I don't know if you could give like the Cliff's Notes version, just let, let us know so we could let them know, make sure they really understood. We got it. They maybe didn't. They totally didn't have a clue what he meant. They didn't get it. What in the world did that mean, Jesus? Now listen to how he responds to them in Mark 4, verse 11. He says to them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that, and then he quotes here Isaiah 6, so that, They may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, we could talk about what he's saying there for an hour, but one thing is abundantly clear, is why he teaches in parables. Now, when I was in seminary and I had preaching class and we would read books on how to preach and tips and tricks for how to preach and communicate well, I remember regularly reading, they would say, you know, we should seek to imitate Jesus in our preaching. Jesus didn't preach an abstract philosophy, difficult concepts. No, he took these simple stories and spoke to common folk, connected with them in meaningful ways. He made the difficult things simple so that they could understand. Now, did you hear how Jesus in verse 11 explained why he teaches in parables. He said, not that I I speak in parables to make things easier, to confirm your current understanding of the world and the kingdom of God, to speak hope. He says, I speak in parables to make it more difficult, to pull the rug out from under them, to challenge them in how they see the world and how they understand the kingdom of God. So again, my first concern with this common interpretation of the parable that it's aimed to inspire hope in its readers, that though things are despised in the beginning, they will eventually be big and beautiful according to the world's standards. My my initial problem, my initial concern, is that doesn't really seem to challenge their current understanding. My second concern with this interpretation has to do with the, the image Jesus uses himself in this particular parable. He says the kingdom of God is like a mustard tree. I don't know how much you know about mustard trees. But if I were Jesus and my goal was to teach my audience how though things might be, uh, you know, despised and overlooked right now, eventually they will be big and beautiful and respected by all. If that were my goal, I don't know, I would probably use something like the cedars of Lebanon. Throughout the Bible, we hear of the cedars of Lebanon. Solomon, King Solomon in the Old Testament, imported these trees to build the temple. They were beautiful, they were revered, they were respected throughout the ancient world. They too had a small beginning, but they eventually ended up beautiful. So if I were Jesus, I might have used the cedars of Lebanon if that was what I was trying to teach. Or if I really wanted to think outside the box, I would use the California redwood tree. When I moved to California, this was at the top of my to-do list. Have you seen these trees? I mean, they can be 70 feet around, 2 to 300 feet tall. 
People come from around the world to see if they can stretch their arms as a group around them. Uh, You know, you feel like you're some sort of mythical creature in an enchanted forest as you look up at these giant trees. I mean, you can literally drive through them. You can drive through a tree. Who thought of that? Who was the first person to think, I bet we could cut a path out and drive right through that? Someone thought of it. I don't know. They're magnificent. They're, they're huge. They're, just, they're beyond what we could imagine, what we could think. If I were Jesus and my goal were to talk about how big and beautiful and respected the kingdom of God will one day be, I might have used the redwood tree. But Jesus uses the mustard tree. Now, even calling it a tree is being very generous with the word tree. Uh, my translation that I read to you earlier said garden plant. Uh, other translations say shrub. Uh, by all accounts, there was nothing especially fantastic about its appearance or its size. Uh, it wasn't very tall, wasn't very, very pretty, nothing, nothing spectacular about it. Its, its prime use was as a seed. The seed would be crushed and used as a condiment or even for medicinal purposes. The tree itself, though, it had a reputation in the ancient world. It had a peculiarly pungent odor, and it grew really rapidly. It was weed-like. It would grow so fast that, in fact, there were restrictions on where you could plant these trees or these shrubs uh, because they would just take over. They would just completely devastate your otherwise beautiful garden. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard shrub, if we want to call it that instead. So what's his point? Why is he telling this parable and why is he making this connection? Well, a few chapters later in this very same gospel, the disciples are walking along with Jesus. They're talking and Jesus says to them, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Uh, Others think you're Elijah and others one of the prophets. And then he turns and looks at them and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter offers, in Mark chapter 8, what is the clearest and most perceptive statement in the gospel so far about who Jesus is. He says, you are the Christ. You are the King. You're the Messiah. The one God has sent. Peter offers this bold declaration of who Jesus is. But immediately after that, just as Peter finishes saying that, Jesus starts teaching his disciples. He says, it is necessary for me to be arrested, killed, and rise again. And Peter, who had just made that bold declaration, he takes Jesus by the arm, he walks him away from the crowd, and he says, hey Jesus, you got to cool it with this whole talk of getting arrested and killed. You're starting to spook the guys. Um, No one's going to keep following you if you say you're about to be arrested. Uh, You know, you I don't know what you're trying to do here, but it's not working. The offerings are going to start to dwindle. The attendance is going to... You need to chill, okay, bud? Peter had made this bold declaration of who who Jesus was, but here's the problem. When he said, you are the Christ, Peter thought redwood tree. Peter was imagining the the beauty, the, the wonder, the splendor, the awe when Jesus marched victoriously into Jerusalem as the, the long-awaited king, when he, when he scattered the enemies, when he sat rightfully on the throne that was his, and then there would be Peter alongside him. What a glorious and honorable experience that would be for him. He was thinking redwood, but Jesus gave him a shrub. 
Throughout the Gospel of Mark, readers regularly encounter language about the kingdom of God. From the very opening words of this gospel, it's obsessed with the kingdom of God. But here's the thing. It doesn't come, it's not manifested in ways that readers might prefer. It doesn't come among nobility. It doesn't come among the honorable. It comes among the blind, the beggar, and the broken. I don't think this parable is so much interested in telling us that the kingdom is something that's small and despised now in the eyes of the world, but one day will be beautiful and respected in the eyes of the world. I want to suggest to you today that what this parable is challenging us to do, it's not so much about the future, it's about our ability to see now what the kingdom is up to. It's about having eyes to see and ears to hear what God is already doing in in our midst. It's the kingdom is spreading like a wildfire, and the challenge is will we be willing to see it, to look for it? To do so, it means setting aside our standards of beauty, our standards of honor and admiration, and adopting the standards that are appropriate to this community, this kingdom in which those who are usually rejected, those who are usually outside, are the very stuff of the kingdom. Many churches in the U.S. have for a long time and will continue to ask important questions about their future. They see numbers dwindling. They see more and more people every day calling themselves the nuns, those who who do not belong to any sort of religious commitment, religious group. Uh, They're no longer interested in formal religion. Uh, Churches are wondering, what are we going to do if our numbers keep dropping? How are we going to reach newer generations? What about the future? What will we do into the future. And now these are all good and important questions to be asking. But sometimes I wonder, in asking those questions and focusing on those questions about what will be, we're we're really just reflecting that we've been so trained to look for the cedars, to look for the redwoods, that we miss the shrubs popping up all around us. In fact, sometimes we're so interested in looking for the redwood that we ignore the shrubs that are alongside us. We walk over them. Sometimes we invest our time and money trying to weed them out because we want the redwood. Now, we're in good company here if this is where we might find ourselves. The disciples themselves throughout the Gospels do just this. Jesus, they say to him as he's on his way to his arrest and death, Who will get to sit on your right hand and who will get to sit on your left hand when you come in your glory? His response, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. They wanted a king who would come in on a stallion. He comes in on a donkey. They hoped for a Messiah who would enter victoriously into the city, conquering enemies around him. He comes in and is conquered. They're looking for redwoods, and he gives them a shrub. The challenge I think this parable puts before us today is, will we be willing to recognize that God's Spirit is at work in this world, bringing the kingdom on earth, bringing new life where there was death? But will we be willing, humble enough to have eyes to see it? 
Will we be willing to go where God goes, among those uh, with whom God associates himself? Are we willing to look for it and to see it? The kingdom is spreading like wildfire. We just have to look for it. Will we be bold enough to do it? Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Oh God, you, in your goodness and in your wisdom, have reached out to us here today, each of us individually, and this church as a whole, and you've, you've come with the good news of the kingdom into our lives. But as we walk along with Jesus, how often we find ourselves still entrapped by our ways of seeing this world. By your Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Lead us so that we might go out into the world with the good news that you are on the move. We thank you. Your grace never fails for us, but for those who have yet to experience it even for the first time. Be with us. Guide us. Direct us as you build your kingdom the kingdom that cannot be stopped. We gather and we pray in the name of the true king, the one who showed us the way, who laid his life down for us, Jesus Christ, King of Kings. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.